coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger-Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined remotely for the first time in too long by my illustrious colleague and co-host, Ben Gordon. How you doing, sir? I'm good. The rats are taking over New York City. Damn. Our old stomping ground. Yeah. Dude, I would love, you know, there's the whole pizza rat thing. I mean, I would love when I would see rats in the subway because it made me feel like there was some sort of Pixar-like uh, rat society that was going on under there. And we were only seeing the surface of it. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. like they were the envoys or they were like the, uh, what do you call them? Scouts. The diplomats. The scouts. Right. Because there was one estimate, you know, the estimates are like, there's more rats than humans. One time I saw there's four times as many rats as humans in New York City. But we they're have no tiny. idea. <laughs> we have no idea. But it's like, great. It's their city, not ours, damn it. God bless them. They're God's creatures. And who are we to judge them because they're disgusting beasts who live below us and eat our trash. Mm. So it's been too long. It's been too long for the podcast. I, you know, it took a couple of weeks off because after doing four hours of content on the Kennedy assassination to mark the anniversary, uh, I needed kind of a little bit of a break. Um, and, you know, you've been doing some interesting stuff. So finally today we've had a chance to connect and there is so much to talk about. Um, how are you doing and what's on your mind? Oh, man. Since, oh, just... Some reassuring interviews I heard. I listened to a lot of KPFK. I love it. I'm a supporter now, um, financially, not just morally. Nice. And just one of the interviews with John Nichols a couple of days ago or yesterday was very helpful in kind of thinking about things. And then Tom Hartman revising a statement. Not a state, his, his, so, you know, the Paxton in Texas filing um, some trumped up case on on trump's behalf on trying to just disregard four of the swing states right and their last you know their last ditch effort to to get this just to go to the house and he's like i give it a one percent then a five percent then today he's like i don't think it's going anywhere but yeah. some of this it's like you gotta laugh a little bit it's like you know these are just some of the most visible crooks but yeah. you know they litter all of our monopolies wall street and you know they're th these guys too but like the things they'll do to just brazenly, I think about it a lot of times in like this context of the bully or just yeah. someone who's not a bully, just kids or animals constantly trying to get away with things. Yeah. You know, even like your dog owner, we got, I got a dog for the first time. It knows always trying what to, to get a scrap off the table, even though they know. Yeah. It. Or you tell it to go somewhere and it kind of like slowly goes there. Like the same with kids, you know, like I was walking to a, one time a couple of years ago and I see he's like five-year-old. The mom says to like, stay here. And you see them slowly inching forward. Like, Oh my God, does she see us? And so it's some of this innate behavior, just in a, obviously a far more destructive way, but it's the same general behavior of let's see how much I can fucking get away with. And so it's just like some of the things they do. A lot. It yeah. I mean, it's yeah. basically like exactly what we predicted would happen, except he's so incompetent that it's not working. 
And, you know, yeah. people are asking, what's his end game? What's his end game? And, you know, he can't overturn the election. And of course, I think his end game is to remain acting president as long as he can. I mean, think of all these cabinet positions that they knew would get scuttled uh, by even a, a Republican run uh, Senate because there were so many political hacks that he was putting in these key positions in various um, various departments in the federal government. And, and so he would make them acting, you know, head of X or Y department, acting, you know, uh, uh, associate director of, of whatever, so that um, he could keep these hacks in these positions and sort of never have them go through the democratic process of being approved by the Senate, a democratically elected body in some ways. Um, so he's kind of trying to do the same thing now. He's just like, if I can just run out the clock and cause as much, cause so much chaos that we can't even come to an electoral college decision, even if I don't win, maybe I can run out the clock and just sort of remain acting president indefinitely because n none of the legal claims he has, has have any sort of possibility within the electoral college system of overturning the results. You know, even if the Supreme court says, Hey, throw away a gajillion votes in, in Pennsylvania, it's just not going to work. The numbers just aren't there, but there is enough chaos that he could maybe just sort of, postpone indefinitely not only the resolution of this election but all elections to come so i don't think that's going to happen but that's his end game well it's part i think he's got a couple that's one of them and the other one is just he's got a a, a grow a following and he he likes you know we all kind of secretly want to be a cult leader we called this as well remember we were talking about like oh the whole idea of a nation is going to deteriorate because even if he wins or loses like our sort of we won't have a civil war but things will sort of like start to separate and will become these sort of like he'll start just like the country of trump and it's like just a country quote unquote on the internet but it will sort of have like people will say i'm a sovereign citizen and i'm a citizen of trump and of course like after he started doing all this stuff and saying like, oh, I'm not going to do the election or I'm not going to listen to the election. You saw all of these writers talking about like a digital confederacy and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's all this pardon stuff happening. And I was looking at it. And when they were pardoning Michael Flynn, who was, of course, um, one of the first people that was taken down by uh, the numerous Russia investigations, basically, because he lied to the FBI. He was pardoned and he's a very high profile pardon, you know, just like commuting Roger Stone's sentence. That's a very high profile person. But what I was saying is, I think we're going to start to see people that we've never heard of. Just random white collar criminals getting uh, pardons and that five years down the line, we would see, oh, they purchased a Trump apartment in New York City for 500% more than it was worth or one of these kinds of deals that Trump has done in the past with the Russian oligarchs and all that kind of stuff. And my dad, I remember who's an attorney, he was like, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. And I was like, okay. And then like a couple days later, there was the CNN article that was like Department of Justice uh, is investigating an alleged bribery scheme involving, um, involving uh, pardons. And it's like I screen capped it and sent it to my dad. Uh, and uh, hey, Hey, Mr. Lawyer, man, I was right after all. This is what happens when I miss a couple of weeks of my podcast is that I'm calling all of this stuff and just being totally brilliant, but I don't have it on the record that I predicted all of this shit. So I don't know what to do, Ben. Mm -hmm. I think the harder part is 
the next few decades. It's like, will we, you know, the optimists out there think we're, this is, you know, at some point it's inevitable that we'll start enacting like truly progressive policies. And by that, I mean, there's no identity politics, whether it's on yeah. the left, right, Democrat, Republican, it's just, it's like a lot of other countries learned after World War II, make them non-means tested and open to all. Some people don't need it, but the vast majority you need to get it. And you don't have to create these ridiculous games. But we didn't quite get there in the New Deal. Our country is just like... And the New Deal was dismantled. It was, and it keeps being so. But it's like we didn't quite... We still had racial restrictions with like home ownership and things like that. So it didn't quite get there. Not all classes of workers were included. And so it's... But then you just... Then I just think about like the intergenerational transfer of values and the things that we highlight in our K to 12 education and there's just so much premised on competition and this idea that if you work hard, you'll earn a better living and all. And that's not, you know, you can have an element of that, but when that is like elevated to a really high degree, it makes it very difficult uh, to really to break away from that and get enough followers. And then yeah. we also, and so, and, and John Nichols was talking about how like, just the way that the US constitution and structure of government was devised, which really hasn't been updated in 250 years, whereas other democracies have been, it was, it was a group of people coming out of a monarchy that feared too much government, which, you know, in their day and age made sense. But the alternative is the, dictatorship model of massive corporations that aren't housed anywhere and basically exert extra govern governmental power because you're not able to effectively govern because we have this baked in divided governments where you don't we don't we have a two-party system by design it's not like it's a winner-take-all model it's not like it just came to be um and by by and by having that the winning party doesn't build a coalition and govern. It's constantly, it's not a check and balance though either. It's just the, it's the inability to have a winning party govern. And obviously that also has its downsides, but especially in times like now, and this is not to say that the Biden administration would, would do it, you know, Bernie, our man, and the people that followed him certainly would have, because a lot of the policies, not the rhetoric, and he supported, we're also supported by probably at least a third of people that voted for Trump, anti-establishment people that wanted to see something different than the bullshit of the last 40 years. So I'm thinking like, with all of this increasingly competitive rhetoric coming out of all sorts of places, whether it's media, education, this whole focus on STEM education, not even like teaching people how to be humans, yeah. just like robots, basically. Well, now there's like, STEAM education, which adds art. And was like, that's just fucking school, you dumbass. I know, it's like A in a, in a parenthesis. The A should be first and some should, should be second. But it's like, are we going to be able to... Because empires do fall. Like, looking at historians, the most likely outcome of an empire is that it basically gets too big and falls. And now we have climate change which makes it all even more dire. So it's like, will climate change lead, and this is just the US, like lead to our demise, which I think it will, or will we finally rally around and, and, and find 
common cause, which I, I, I don't see that happening. There's way too much deference for yeah. rich, powerful people. And, and if COVID couldn't bring us together, then what? Yeah. And, and in some ways, COVID did bring together sort of like normal people who were like, this is bullshit. We're going to go vote for Joe Biden. Um, but, you know, us sort of dirtbag left folks and the, the, the sort of hard right, uh, I don't think it brought us together. And that's the thing. I'm totally willing to compromise. You know what I'm saying? I would, if, if, if the, if the Republicans were down to come up with a compromise, a grand compromise saying like, Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. We'll give you, you can guys can keep your guns, but we get to keep abortion. <laughs> you know, like I'm down for some sort of grand bargain. That's blunt and, and a silly example, but I don't think that the other side is. I really don't think that in, that they're really willing to to give anything. Um, and so I think Joe Biden, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that Joe, as a guy who knows the Senate better than anybody in politics today, will be able to bar- to negotiate some grand bargain. But I also feel like homeboy is sort of delusional and he's going to walk into an even harder wall uh, than he did um, with Obama. And I think, Ben, what you're talking about, it fundamentally comes down to the difference between governance and rule. You and I, we talk a lot about governance, and there's something interesting and and quite scary, actually, that I see fairly frequently whenever, you know, a bunch of smug assholes from CNN or MSNBC go to a Trump rally and like, we went to a Trump rally to try to figure out how anyone could be so stupid. And here's what they said. And, you know, and they'll interview some people and they'll, you know, the people probably are dumb and misled and being lied to, but then they'll edit it to make them look even stupider. Um, But something that I've heard um, many folks say in those types of interviews that I have never heard in any interviews with with leftist protesters or agitators or activists is Trump is a good ruler. I think he's a great ruler. And you never say some, you never hear someone saying, oh, Joe Biden, he's a good ruler or Obama, what a great ruler. Or, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, he would be a great ruler. No, we don't want someone to rule over us. We want someone to govern, to, to manage, to take care of things. And I think that's probably why so many people in the Republican base are now willing to let Trump, you know, go out and and you know be buddies with the Putins of the worlds and the and the you know Kim Jong-uns of the world. Uh, and so to so to speak. And look, I don't think that we should have a hardline stance against other countries necessarily, just because we're worried that they'll be as powerful as us. But I also don't think we should ask their D's like Trump did. But that's the thing is, Putin doesn't govern, he rules Russia. And Trump, I think his supporters expected Trump to rule America. And he certainly thought he could, he thought he could just put people on the mm-hmm. Supreme Court, and they could magically hand him a, a, another term. But this is a system that is set up for governance, not rule. But the Republican Party, they don't seem to be interested in governance. They only seem to be interesting in, interested in ruling over all of us with their stupid fucking clerics on the Supreme Court. Totally. No, I think that's a great assessment. Um, and when it comes to other countries' businesses, we, it's a rare person other than you know, Tom Engelhart that reminds people that we have 800 overseas bases and 
our involvement in other countries rarely had to do with promoting democracy. So right. uh, we've been deployed across the entire uh, world for the last 80 years, but we have not declared war. Uh, we've only declared war 80 years ago. That was the last time we actually ever declared war on anybody was 80 years ago. And we have been deployed militarily ever since. So what is that except soft empire? At the very least, best case scenario, it's, it's, it's an extension, extension of a wildly paranoid uh, um, national security stance that we feel like the only way we can prosper as a nation is to, is to still have f fucking you know, bases in Germany 80 years after Hitler shot himself, or so mm -hmm. we thought. Well, I think it's also that there are basically our investor class and corporate managers, and it would even say entrepreneurs that will probably never acknowledge in public that the reason they're able to make so much money with using other people's resources is because we have those bases, not in spite of them. We're, we're, we wouldn't sure. be able to do the things we do around the world if we didn't have those bases everywhere. Yeah, I mean... And the police state in our own country. So it's it's like, as you said, we're going toward, what, what did you call it? A, a confederacy of... Uh, well, I think the Atlantic called it a digital confederacy. No, no, you had was, a word a couple months ago. You said... I, I oh yeah, it was United like a, corporations of America. You said uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was it was the idea of a a country as a brand rather than an actual uh, governing entity, and then also the idea of applying sovereign citizenry uh, to to the digital space and having someone like like Trump be living in this government in exile. And here's another thing I was talking about a couple of weeks ago that what, whatever, whatever happens on inauguration day, Trump is going to, to dominate the news cycle somehow. Now people are saying he's going to abscond from the white house and he's going to go do a rally in Florida and, and, and try to take the news cycle away from Biden. That's interesting. Here's what I think. Uh, either way, he's not going to the inauguration. He'll never give, He'll never be as classy as Obama, and he'll never give that satisfaction to Joe Biden or, frankly, any of us. So what I think he'll actually do is one of two things. I, he knows he can't pardon himself. He maybe thinks there might be time enough to, to boot that up to the Supreme Court in the next, in the next uh, uh, 30 days, but I, I, I don't think so. Um, so what I think he'll do is on the way to the inauguration, within minutes of Biden being uh, inaugurated, he will resign the presidency. And um, Mike Pence will become the 46th president of the United States. He will pardon Trump and his family. And then he will go and watch the inauguration. And I think Trump will do that to satisfy himself. And also so he can be like, Listen, I fucked up all your hats. You made all of these hats and t-shirts that said Joe Biden 46, 46. Well, listen, motherfucker, he's 47 now. See you later, peace. And the other thing that I, that I think he might do is have a parallel inauguration. And I've been hearing some other people talking about this. Because um, basically, you don't have to be a Supreme Court justice to, to inaugurate uh, the president to swear the president in, right? You just have to be a justice of the peace. Um, so a, a perfect example of that is actually the first woman 
whoever swore in a president. Um, she was just like a, a local judge in Dallas who swore in um, LBJ on Air Force One uh, right after uh, JFK was, was clipped in, in Dallas. And so she wasn't a Supreme Court justice, you know, let alone the, the, the chief justice. She was just, you know, uh, uh, an awesome judge. Um, and what I think he will do is I think he will find some, the, what I am calling the Joe Arpario of, of justices, some weird like Reagan appointee who's 107 years old, who's still around and like, it is a total Trump, uh, uh, like a crack hour type Trump loyalist. And he will swear in Trump as the president. There will be two inaugurations. Me, do you know Either way, I about... think there will be two inaugurations that no, day. I like, There'll so... be two inaugurations. I know people love comparing, you know, U.S. empire to, to Rome and all, which for better or worse, I don't really, you know, whether or not it's valid. They could at least build a bridge but, without five competing contracts in Rome. <laughs> well, so what I'm getting at is, was there ever a time during the Roman empire that there was a, a shadow uh, ruler in this way that was appointed by, so not a, what, it's not really a coup because he doesn't have effective governance. But yeah. using the channels of our structure was actually sworn in as the the ruler, even though sure. it wasn't. It was observed by some people, not everyone. Did that ever happen in? Well, in, uh, in Rome, there was what was known as Eastern Empire, and I'm you know I'm not a, a Rome scholar, so I'll probably fuck this up. But you know, from what I understand, there was Eastern Empire, which was like the sort of. Uh, like uh, Turkey side of <laughs> of the globe, which sort of broke off from the regular Roman Empire and the regular Roman Empire became like the Roman Catholic Church and then Eastern Empire became its own thing. The Byzantine Empire is the Eastern mm, Roman Empire. Yes. It survived the fragmentation and fall of the Western Roman Empire in the fifth century AD. So there was kind of like, it was, wasn't quite the same. It was kind of like a break off version. Um, I don't know anything about their government or anything, but I'm kind of interested in this. Uh, so I'll, I'll do some more research on Eastern Empire. And I think we should dedicate ourselves to just learning more about the fall of empires en general, because the only constant that we have among the complex equation equations of the history of the, the worldwide empires is that they all fall. Mm -hmm. I would take That's that the constant. and combine it with, I heard someone interviewed yesterday who just, her new book is, looks at autocrats in the modern era. So since Machiavelli. Right. So I think that would be worthwhile too. Cause she yeah. said the most likely thing that happened to them is that they either kill themselves or are killed. The, the closest uh, um, equivalent that I can think of in, in living history, relative modern times, post-war history, would be Iran. That basically um, we had the Shah, right? And the Shah was in charge of Iran and they, they got rid of him. And then he sort of had like a government in exile. Like I think he was, he was in, uh, in Europe at the time. Um, and then, you know, Mossadegh came in, he won uh, the, the presidency or whatever, and he nationalized the oil fields. And then the British convinced, uh, convinced Eisenhower that he was a communist. And so we sent in spies to basically take down the government and brought the Shah back in. If you're interested in that, there's some old, there's an old episode uh, in the feed here from the Inside Jobs days about that. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's sort of pretending like he is the, the Shah of America, 
that and this has been stolen from him. I think that's the closest parallel. But again, you know, I'm a, I'm a dilettante in terms of my historical knowledge. I yeah. love history, but well, some like, of the modern I, I this this book, and I think we should both read it. One of the things she points out too is, you know, people like Pinochet and others. Yeah, they've actually used American PR firms to. Um, establish their image as much more positive. So, you know, we, we haven't had anyone since the days of social media. So Trump's kind of being his own PR through Twitter and then obviously Fox News and then the ones competing to be even mm -hmm. um, further. But so part oh, he of literally it, would do that mm -hmm. in his New York tabloid days. He pretended. Oh, yeah. To be so we're going to keep guy. But I want to ask you to predict like in your yeah. prediction geographically where will trump be say in in march of next year florida that's what i was thinking florida that's what i was thinking too you don't think it, florida no, florida will be the capital of trump's government in exile the motherfucker already calls it the the, the yeah western white house you know like i see these these things by i call Southern them liberal dilettantes they're like oh the only country that would take him is north korea he's like He's not going to no. fucking go to another the only country, country that'll take him is Florida. No, no, no. <laughs> a lot of places would. But what I'm saying is like he himself would not do that. In his mind, I think that would be seen as defeat. He's not leaving the I, U.S. The, the only scenario in which he would leave and you go to the Philippines or some shit is if there was a warrant out for his arrest. That's true. And as we've established on this show, I do think the Southern District of New York, they're going to go after him. I think at best, the DOJ, a Biden DOJ will not interfere, but there's no way a Biden DOJ is going to actively investigate no, Trump. State, but what about his kids, though, too? Yes. And the thing is that's sad is that there's probably about 100,000 either cases or just tax files that uh, a district attorney, the IRS, or the SEC should be going after yeah. and in my mind one of the indicators i'm looking at is if biden's actually serious about this stuff which he's not because you know he does door-to-door -door campaigning at goldman sachs and, and blackstone but if he was really serious yeah, that was the only door-to-door -door campaigning that the biden exactly if he was serious did. about inequality and real things one way to do it without making a big splash is increase the enforcement staff of the sec and the irs which has been gutted over the last 30 years um it's not going to happen, but that's one indicator. Yeah, how's the GOP going to approve a budget with that in there? <laughs> There's, but that's what I'm saying. Right? There are so many emer There are so many ways he's not going to do it, even if he could, because there are other ways yeah. of doing it. And uh, I would love, I would love for Biden to be like the most imperial president ever, and just be like, eh, I'm just going to do a bunch of, uh, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do more uh, executive uh, orders than Trump and Obama combined. In yeah. my first year, and I'm going to completely take. I would love that if he just became just like <laughs> the most. He became this like imperial liberal. Well, it would be cool president. if he was a benevolent dictator, which would basically mean I'm going to make my decisions based on polling data, however inaccurate it is, which shows things like a livable wage, Medicare for all, um, public housing, and a few other things are widely supported by people in both parties. That would be a sure. great use of it. A canceling a ton, doing a ton of debt jubilee. He's not going to do it. Then. Well, that's what I'm all about. Right, but that's what I'm saying. People are about that in both all shapes and sizes and stripes. He's not going to do it because he'll be like, oh, it's an overstep. But it's like, well, all your stuff ketoing to fucking the military industrial complex and Wall Street is also 
that, but that doesn't, you know, but that's okay because that's a status quo. So it's going to be a bunch of fucking hogwash. In 2024 is going to be a shit show. In 2028, it's going to be worse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's face it. He's not going to make it. <laughs> he's not going to make it to 2024. Well, I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he's setting things up for just a disaster. And I don't mean by him individually. It's tens of thousands of people, or thousands of people around him in his administration. But it's the tone that he sets. It's who he gives the mic to and what he says and doesn't say and who he calls out. It's not necessarily about, like, obviously, if Democrats don't win the Senate, it's not in my mind what policies actually get passed, but it's what is the tone set, which he'll be very, you know, very like, oh, we all need to come together. But this idea of like, you know, Obama talking about radical empathy, it's like, I don't need to hear that from someone who has $150 million in speaker drone strikes the shit out of brown people in other countries yeah exactly so it's like you know what a lot of people talk about radical empathy and they're normal humans like uh (laughs) you know and so that's what i'm saying by uh we're setting up a shit show yeah i mean look everything you need to know about biden you can see from the moment he um accepted his victory or announced his victory when the the networks called it that fateful Saturday. He comes out in the song they play is simply the best, better than <laughs> all the rest. And it's like he's he's shuffling out on stage. Like there's this there's this huge field of very interesting candidates and they pick managed to pick the most boring uh uh uninteresting uninspiring one out of all of them and then he comes on stage and he's simply the best better than all the rest and and here's the thing as someone like hillary clinton uh like donald trump uh like nixon and and bill he suffers from presidential cognitive disorder and now this is a small group of people who get into their mind that there is a it maybe a 1% chance that they could possibly be president. And that becomes the one driving force. And I would say madness inside their life, which leads them to make horrible t- decisions. So Joe Biden is very old. He's probably not going to make this term out. He'll probably get sick and pass the, the mantle on to, to, uh, to Kamala and God bless. Um, and, you know, uh, he might die before he gets a chance to run, but I, I hope that the party by 2023 is like, Joe, you you can't run again. You have to neither seek nor accept, okay? Um, The nomination. So in Joe Biden's perspective, from his perspective, as someone who suffers from presidential cognitive disorder and has finally, after all these years, become president, he's like, mission accomplished. All right, you're welcome, everybody. Thanks, and we're out. (laughs) Like, Joe Biden has accomplished his mission in life. He is now president. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's that the story that all these little stories are coming out about Joe to like make us like him. And, you know, I do personally like him just like how I personally like Obama, but I don't like a lot of his policies. But it was a story about like he got sick and had to go into surgery or something years ago. And the doctor is, you know, sending him off to surgery. And Biden says, you know, good luck, doc. You better be careful because I'm going to be president someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the ways I saw it framed very well by like, I think a psychologist or something, it's like, don't hate bullies, uh, pity them. And it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, it just, it's kind of sad sometimes that they got, they just listen, the people they're talking to convince them to believe stuff that's completely unfounded. There's no empirical evidence in human history or other species that these kind of structures work. Uh, but they believed it and it partly helped their rise to power, but also just kind of pity them that 
you know, and it's a lot of what we call the democratic establishment, whether it's the Clintons, the Obamas, the Bidens, and then a lot of the people he's appointing, they, I, you know, it's kind of that pity. I don't hate them. They're, I'm sure if we hung out with them, they're fine people, you know, have a beer and kick it. But, yeah. you know, the people they surround themselves with, it's kind of that elitism. And, you know, like when Clinton called people deplorables, it's like this social ordering has destroyed the Democratic Party. And Clinton said, shame on you, Barack Obama, in 2008. Yeah, or what, you know, but it just, but, but I'm saying he's a, he's a powerful, he's a person running for president. I'm saying calling 100 million people yeah. deplorable. Deplorable. Is, but it's yeah. kind of under, like, if you look at the actual strategy of the Democratic Party since Nixon, it's starting to align with the desk jockeys, all of the professionals that work in offices and went to, to good colleges and blah, blah, blah as if they're better humans and more deserving, which is obviously bullshit. And, uh, but a lot of people believe it, you know? It was one of the things I hated about going to a quote unquote good college and being friends with people like that. Just some of the conversations are just like, you're not a better human because you were born with either a better brain or because you got lucky and got to go to one of these schools. Does it make you a better human? Uh, and so it's like the, un and so you get the people, the people that rise to these positions of power, it doesn't, it's not just happenstance, it's because they say the right things in meetings that they're slowly promoted and they get hundreds and thousands of people to work on their behalf to get them in a position of power. It's not like they do it themselves. It's that myth of like the hero. They're not, they're not, yeah. you know, riding it on a horse and taking over. And so the great man of history myth. Yeah. And so the people that say those things are the ones that uh you know move up or don't yeah. say, don't criticize, you know. Like I know I can never do that because I'm constantly critical and pointing things out and my friends love it, but it would never get me anywhere politically or business uh because people don't want to hear that shit. Um Right. And it's an incredibly, in, and I think the fact that that people don't want to hear it, it shows that the types of folks you're talking about have an extremely cynical worldview to a certain extent. And I, I think it's this way. You hear plenty of kids saying, hey, I want to be a doctor someday and I want to cure, I want to cure cancer or I want to cure AIDS. You never hear a kid say, I want to be chair of the, uh, the CDC. <laughs> they say, I want to cure cancer. Not that I want power, they want to do something right. So, um, look, I, I mean, I, I, I wish Joe well. We've sort of settled for him. Uh, history has settled for him. Uh, I'm, I'm always an optimistic person. You know, if he manages to accomplish to to bring us back to some sort of bipartisan era. Okay, sure. I'm willing to compromise for a while to get us out of this goddamn mess. Um, but it does not seem likely to happen, even if the Democrats pull a, uh, a Hail, Mar Hail Mary and, and, and win both seats in Georgia. No, I, yeah, I mean, let's, I hope, but I, I think part of it is also premised on together. this, this uh fantasy that we're in some sort of competition with China and we have to win that competition. I think that informs a lot of the decisions of the democratic yeah. establishment because, you know, it's a made up thing. 
Yeah, I mean, this look at the way that the press covers it. I saw this article. It might not have been in mainstream. It might have been in like nationalinterest.org, which is sort of, I, I read some sort of like military oriented press just to sort of see what that side of the thought spectrum is 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 up to. Um, and the article that, that I read was a uh, um, Chinese government seeking super soldiers. And they're talking oh, about yes. biologically, biologically that. engineering, basically, instead of Captain America, Captain China. And in the article, of course, they're like, just like, like in the Marvel comics, Captain America. Ka, 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 ka. So in a sense, like, if we buy into this Thucydian trap and say uh, concept and say, yes, we're on a collision course with China. There's no other way we, there's no way we can avoid it because we're the two, you know, the two powers. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, even if, so if you accept that, then you have to say like, okay, well, if they're developing Captain China's, we need to develop Captain America's. But I fundamentally think that, and you know, we're, we're utopians to a certain extent. I think that your that hard work can be motivated uh, by your desire to to do better, your desire to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, to take care of your community. Whereas uh, hard work in this nation seems to be motivated by competition, and we're not the only ones guilty of this. I think China is very competitive with us. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the government itself, but also just individuals. Um, and there is, um, they have the largest army in the world. Are they as is, is, is much of a professional army as us? No, probably not. But they have the largest army in the world and probably in history. Um, and I don't think that the Chinese populace are as soft as people like us. Yeah, sure, there's, there's people up in the there, whatever their version of the Politburo is, who are soft. And there's this new emergent class of, you know, kind of millennial Chinese professionals who are, who are uh, uh, experiencing, you know, this spurt of wealth, and they have nice apartments, and they're able to afford things. Bah, 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 bah. But the average, I think the average individual there has lived a, a scrappier life than us, and is not as soft as us. Doesn't feel as though they like, deserve as, as, as much. And I acknowledge, look, I'm, I'm kind of just painting with a broad brush, the largest country. Yeah, but don't you history. think if, 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 if it got to the point where on every news outlet, it was, yeah. there's, you know, in, in, in imminent um, threat of violence. I mean, look at, we've gone into like, what is it 40 or 50 countries in the last hundred something years? I don't think, I mean, people might be soft, but I don't think they have any problem with using our military might just to keep no. things out of our, on, off of our soil. So, yeah, because we have a, we I have think a volunteer... it's more that if that war, if the hard war doesn't ensue in the next 10 years, we're fatiguing our ability to maintain. I think that's what people get at when they compare like Rome. It's like, it's not just having those bases, but maintaining them year in and year out if you have another country that's more intergenerational than ours, they're just going to wait us out till we're completely fatigued and have run out of resources. Whereas if we were thinking about it over hundreds of years rather than tens, it would be a much more defensive. We would pull back most of our bases, which would allow us to, to save up resources for the future. And yes. I don't just mean money. I mean, actual like people's ability to, want to even engage in these activities 
and then also focus on the very real fact that a lot of the stuff in the interim is going to be all over the internet. It's going to be cyber things, or it's going to be yeah. leveraging us like um, with, with 9-11. That was one act that got us to spend $6 trillion and lose, I don't know how to measure political capital in the world, but to kill half of it. Yeah. To kill one guy, essentially. So it's just to like get revenge. We're fighting in just a completely hard-headed imperialistic way that's outdated and outmoded so our enemies our supposed enemies will just wait for us to fade whether it's in five years or 50 years and then they'll take us over so every day we're like the oh, taliban are, yeah. understood this north vietnam understood this that the greatest asset that they had was the fact that they live there they're not going anywhere. And so I totally understand when the Trumps of the world say we're pulling out of Afghanistan. And frankly, we don't have that many troops in Afghanistan, but say we're pulling out of Afghanistan, you're going to leave this huge vacuum and Iran and all these other countries, they're going to they're going to come in and fill the vacuum and support terrorism. Gah, 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 gah. But it's like, at some point, we have to leave. So just do it now. Yes, that vacuum will be filled. But it's not our fucking so, vacuum. So one of the writers on the Tom Dispatch uh, he has a few this your, retired your man Hartman. This is Tom Engelhart. Tom, oh, Tom yeah. Hartman with an H is on uh, talk radio, but he yeah, has a Tom few Hartman. retired either lieutenants or generals that have started being very critical of us military. And one of them, I was reading one of his articles either from this year or 10 years ago. I can't remember, but he was like, when you have a war of choice, you lose the day you start and you win the day you leave. So this idea that we can ever win the war on terror is misconceived because he's like, the only way to win is to, to leave. And the, we well, lost it's a war the day on a concept. We, yeah, and then also to occupy another country where our whole premise of going there was shown to be false from like within a few days. So he's like, we lost the day that we got there. It was never to be won. He said the yeah. same thing with Vietnam. And so I thought that was like a really good way of putting it of that when we do these wars of choice in other people's countries and occupy them, we we're, we've it's lost a loss from the beginning. Exactly. You lose the day you start. And so it's just, it's, uh, yeah. it's just like a waiting game. And I don't know. That's why I think, Absolutely. you know, we got to focus. And that's why, you know, like I think having kids, I, I was, I was told by a professor I worked with not to change the subject. He said, um, he said having kids is, he said, the, the depth of the emotional response heightens with kids. He said, one yeah. of the analogy he used, he's like, when I used to score a goal in soccer, it was great. When my, one of his sons scored a goal, it was orgasmic. He's like, having kids is the greatest thing in the world. I don't want to sit next to this motherfucker no, when I'm at my kids' games. They got this, they got this asshole coming next to me while I'm trying to watch the fucking Shut game. Up. And see, he's just this is you blasting before. loads. No, see, this is you on talking the as a 25-year-old. Yeah. So, I still no, got it's it. the idea of like focus on community, building networks with people, working on local politics, having global solidarity. But at the end of the day, yeah. not letting some of these ills get in the way of us still taking action day to day to make little things better here and there. Because, yeah, right. you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. But we know day to day we can we can build a, a little world around us. Yeah, I mean, and Maybe. coming back to to wars of choice, 
Right. You know, we have this little world around that that around us, this pretty little world around us that 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 we're talking about, and that in communities we like to we want to try to preserve and grow and make better. Um, but since there are wars of choice, that indicates that we really don't we're not under threat. It's like, yes, there was 9-11, it was horrible, but it wasn't like they invaded and occupied yeah. New York and we had to go in to fight a war to free New York. It was like, no, actually we should go into a completely different country that had nothing to do with this and fuck their shit up and then move into another country that had even less to do with it and then fuck shit up. And then it actually turns out that the guy we want is in a country that we're like providing aid to and yeah. intelligence, Pakistan. Um, and then the thing about our war, since it's a war of choice, well, we have to decide what it is that it's a war, a war against. It's not a war against Iraq. It's not a war against Afghanistan or Yemen or whatever. It's a war on terror. And a second ago, I said, oh, it's a war on a concept, you know, like war on drugs, war on crime, all this stuff. It's even stupider. It's even dumber than that. It's a war on an emotion. Terror is, a, is an emotional state, a, a collective societal emotional state, but it's almost like saying, we're going to fight a war on fear. Okay, well, the only way to fight a war on fear is to overcome your fears, your insecurities, your bullshit. The only reason why we're terrorized is we know we, 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 that when these people attack, we remember that we don't fucking deserve everything that we've got, that a lot of us haven't earned it. And so, yeah, we're terrified that there's someone out there that could take it from us. So we're going to fight a war on our own insecurities, a war on terror. It's ridiculous. And like you said, $6 trillion later, we're no better. We're worse. And then some of the causes of those fears by the people perpetrating the war, having their, their diaries or journals afterwards, someone just called it the fourth crusade. It's the, it's the age old battle of 100%. The East and West. So it's like, it's, it is a war on terror or war on fear or whatever. But what was causing the fear in the perpetrators? It's this idea of why can't we just triumph over them? And I'm going to try again. And so it was the fourth time that us triumph, triumphing over the Eastern world, Christianity or the, or tri Christ triumphing Christ. over it, the Islamic faith. Yeah. And then meanwhile, all of us Jews are lending the money to do it. Yeah, which is also bullshit. But you know, it's like so you had the Crusades, the original ones. I can't remember the 18th century one or 19th. Then you had the British or Russian. And then you have us. And it's the like... The 19th century? No, it was... I can't... I mean, I read this 10 years ago. The, 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 the Crusades was like, you know, it, you know, in the hundreds. No, no, I know. No, no, the Crusades was 1900s. 700 and 900. I'm talking about yeah. the second, third, and now we're the fourth crusade. Oh, you're talking about like colonialism and imperialism. Yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, this idea that the Christian faith is preeminent and we just we have to which is also it's like our competition with china it's completely elusive it's that it's kind of like that hitler naziistic thing which is the final solution we have to eradicate all of them which mm. we're not doing and we're never going to try so it's, it's that constant insecurity of the people perpetrating and it's that also that also that that competition of fate of like ours is superior and we have to vanquish them which is completely idiotic, and but you frame it around something else. Which here it was. I can't remember how was it. I can't. I mean, this was almost twenty years ago now. Like how it was framed that we had this war on terror and what that meant. But then, as you learn more about the people and and what they were actually writing in their day to day journals, it was the Christ, It was really based in Christianity triumphing over Islam or or anything else. The irony is that the Islam, if you just kind of look at it, is just 
Christianity 2.0 or Judaism 3.0. But that's what it is. Exactly. They don't want, and they have way more adherence. So that also pisses off the Cheney's and Rumsfeld's and the Bushes and all them. Like, how could we be so much better, but they have five times as many followers, which it's like, well, first of all, it's not a competition, but it's also like you are, it's just like, don't they, you don't learn. So it was just, it's almost, it's terrible. Well, I mean, the whole thing is that Muhammad, if you believe in him and his prophecies, not only was he a prophet in his own right, but also he um, reinforced the the Christian gospel. He said, yes, the Christian gospel is 100% correct. Mm -hmm. And here's the rest of it. So it's like, if you look at, so I'm the kind of person that like, I like the OG. So I'm like, we're Jews. We wrote the first Bible the Torah, like we came up with this, you know, monotheistic thing that's now taken over. And then like Christianity was like Star Trek, the animated series, which was like, "Mm, it's kind of got some of the same concepts, but it's sort of a mess. And then Islam is Star Trek, uh, the next generation, which, you know, like a lot of people say, that's the best one. I personally like the original series. I think it established everything and there would be no next generation. Uh, But um can, I love this analogy. But, Where would you fit Mormonism in this? I've been reading about Salt Lake City recently. <laughs> Deep Space Nine. That's Deep Space Nine. Okay. Oh, that's <laughs> a good way of framing yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's but that's like, the thing that that's the thing that I think Christians find so offensive. Or not Christians, all Christians. Most no. people are, are nice people. Yeah, most but of them are not like, warmongers. <laughs> yeah. The war, the George Bush Christians who goes on TV and says, George W. Bush says, Oh, we're, our war is not with Islam. Like, okay, well, why are you invading these yeah, why'd you choose countries? These right. Um, but uh, yeah, your actions speak louder than your, your barely comprehensible words, Mr. President. Uh, but um, I think the reason why folks might hate Muhammad and Islam so much is that it is like the better version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's like the more fleshed out version um, and I think that it, I think a lot of people want to say, no, Christianity is that's the end of it. That's the last of it. It's done. There's nothing else. There's nothing better. Whereas Islam's like, no, 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 there's so much more story to tell. Ga, 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 ga. And then everyone's like, Islam's a violent ass religion. I'm like, oh my God, look at, look at Judaism, look at Christianity. Yeah. All of our books are just filled with incredible fucking violence and all the people that we killed. So shut I know. the fuck it's up. The same you way just hate America it because with... it's better and it's brown. Yeah. I don't think, I don't personally think it's better, but if you just look at quantity over, if just like the, you know, you look at the American concept of you want the Costco version of more, more, more for the same price. Hey, Islam's the best deal, bro. Yeah, they were also just in more places where there were more people. And some of it's probably just like happenstance, but it's like they create all these illusions of competition where, and then we'll put bodies in and everything on the line for it, but not their own, obviously. They weren't going over there. But it's absolutely insane. Yeah. I kind of want to name my son Jack Muhammad. <laughs> my wife is totally against this. Jack is a, is a family name. Uh, it's, it's everyone's family name. And, you know, he's going to be of Middle Eastern descent. And that's Muhammad's the most common name in the world. And Jack is one of the most common names. I think James is the most common name over the history of English. But Jack, John, that's up there. So the idea like of bridging this gap of like the, the Western world and the Eastern world are somehow in some sort of Thucydian trap with each other say, you know, Hey, the next generation can be the, the, the bridge between that, that gap of hatred. Right. When your and son so, turns four, start calling him Jammo and then explain Jammo. to him it's Jack Muhammad. 
Jack Muhammad. I mean, Jamo. also, what's up? Because you could have a nickname for your son. His name is Jamo. Jack. Oh, Muhammad. he's gonna have tons of nicknames. Exactly. Come on, let's so go, Rodeo. Hey, know. Maverick. So, yeah, this name's not gonna happen, but I think it's great. Also, <laughs> you know, let, let's think about it just, and I think of life and just in terms of a movie. But let's think there's a there's a terrorist attack, and they're like this. This is the this is the new terrorists. They are even worse than Al Qaeda. They're even worse than ISIS. They're even they're the worstest ever. We need somebody who's a badass, someone who can infiltrate them, someone who can do it. And then like everyone's like, we don't have that person, Mr. President. But then there's one army guy in the background. The president's like. What are you thinking over there? And he's like, there is one man who can save us, Jack Muhammad. Oh, and then we yeah. cut to Jack Muhammad. And he's this like, the whole series, you know, it's like John Wick, but it's Jack Muhammad. Jack Muhammad. What a bad. And he's name. like, he's, he's uh, he brings everyone together. Yeah. Well, at least with uh, some of the fates, we're still leaving out a good two thirds of the world, but you know, we'll get, <laughs> we'll, we need some more names. You can have four names. So. These are all the face that have nuclear weapons. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Um, I guess, oh, let's see. Are there any non-Christian, non-Muslim countries that have, like, so North Korea has nukes, but I th- feel like North Korea and China has nukes, but I feel like, isn't it against the law to be religious? Although it would technically be Buddhist, right? No, it's not Buddhist. Um, what's it called? Taoism? Yeah, but it's, well, after Mao, things change. I can't remember where they landed, but. This is, I've thrown out so much like false historical and religious information. Yeah, it's <laughs> called, no, it's called, I've named it. It's called real-time history. You create history as you speak. But under the auspices of, there's no power dynamic here. We're just talking. So it's not like when Dick Cheney or whatever goes on and says, we're so powerful, we create facts by our actions, or whatever the hell he said. We're not that. We're just two goofballs talking to each other. And so it's called real-time history. We're not, you know. Because a lot of things are unwritten. We don't know a lot of what happened because it wasn't written. Yes. And that is why we were going, at least me personally, obviously I was, I was worried about what would happen if Trump became president again. Um, but just in my own personal, like selfish intellectual world, to me, I, I love history. And like I said, I have a dilettantish relationship with it. I'm not a historian. I haven't dedicated my life to it, but it's one of my biggest passions in life. I always want to know, like, the history of things, especially presidential history. I fucking love presidential history. I have a whole section of our drawing room over here. It's like half a bookcase. It's like just presidential shit. It, if I put everything I have on the bookcase, it would be a full bookcase. Like whether it's like, and you like you knowing know, all the perspectives, a lot of the ones and constantly under uncovering the things that were either concealed or just not put out there, which makes it even more sure. like, it's like inclusive history. Right. That's a nice, I, that's a nice way to look at it. And I take that as a compliment. No, it's a total compliment. You're not like, well, no, this is what happened and let's move on. You know, a lot of people who are, you know, historical dilettantes like me as well, while you're experiencing so much ennui leading up to the election. And then of course, during that crucial few days when they were still counting votes and we didn't know is that we were living through history. I didn't want to live through history. I just wanted to know history. I was like, what is this story? Is Donald Trump, is this the story of the, the first king of America and how he took over America? Or is this the story of a, the, the rise and fall of one of the saddest tragicomic characters uh, in history? And thankfully, it's looking like it's the latter. Ben, you had something you want to talk about, right? No, I did not. I, um... Oh, okay. Well, well, we'll see you all the fuck later. Um, <laughs> 
I do want to comment on something. If you are one of the, the people subscribed to this feed, you may notice that there has been yet another name change to the feed. Um, and as people who uh, have known me for a while, they know that my original program was Liberal Guilt Radio, which, and then we paused that, we did Morning Handsome, and then the Inside Jobs, and, uh, and now Talk on the Internet. And, um, but it's all lived under the Liberal Guilt Radio uh, family. So under uh, advisement of uh, both my wife and other numerous advisors in my life, we are officially changing the name of this podcast feed back to Liberal Guilt Radio, LGR, brought to you by the liberal guilt of folks like you. Because while this started becoming like comedy podcast, when you joined, you know, God bless, it just became a couple of radical Jewish anarchist socialists babbling about liberal things and exploring our own guilt. So folks, welcome to Liberal Guilt Radio, LGR. I love it. Glad, glad to too. be a part of it. Viva la resistance. Viva la resistance. All right. So what would you were what's this word you were looking up? <laughs> or this quote? Oh, I was trying to find up? this great quote from um from a Russian historian about how it was a line about how living through history that we're, we're, we're alive and we don't realize, and we, we don't see it's a beautiful, it was a, it was from a poem quoting it yeah. can only happen. I, I don't, I don't know. Where well, it's it why I haven't, I, I haven't bought any of these books that have come out about the Trump administration. I haven't even bought any books about the Obama administration let alone his fucking puff piece that he wrote about himself, where he did not mention that we supplied <laughs> arms to Iraq in the Iraq-Iran war, but that's another story. Chapo Trap House filled that out better than us. But um, because we're not really going to know what the historical context is of these presidencies, let alone all of the intricacies of the, the secretive operations that they were up to, uh, during these administrations for years from now, maybe not even in our lifetime. I mean, it, it, it probably took a hundred years at least to figure out who the fuck George Washington was and why he was so important. Obviously we knew he was important in the time, but now we go, whoa, George Washington, he had this huge influence on the world. So I don't think I want to buy a book about Trump or Obama until, you know, at least 10 years from now. So yeah, we are living through history. So, um, and sometimes reading, we can learn more about these current events by reading philosophy, history, other topics that aren't the play-by-play -play because it's not like, you know, like a lot of good writers say, every, every idea has already been out there. It just yeah. stated in different words or you got to go find it. So it's not like there's anything new going on. It's, it looks a little bit different, but yeah, I right. totally agree. Like I don't need a Part of the fun of being a kid is that you do think you've invented everything. But then you also realize one thing I like reading history is a lot of things that we say are discovered or invented. Mm -hmm. It's uh, like the land that we live on. Or just like a lot of things that are explained either with brain or biology. It's like yeah. if you look at other forms of other, other groups of people hundreds of years back yeah. that saw the world, you know, not through the exact same intellectual framework. Right had already discovered or explained these same things just in different words or in a different method. And Correct. so sometimes I think it's, it's also that kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, um, that elitism or if it's like, look what, what, look what our scientists just discovered yesterday or, or proved. It's like, yeah, 
Uh, no. Actually, I think some other the world was already a hundred years ago. Yeah. Or about, yeah. I think Sondheim said it best in, uh, in assassins. Um, the idea wasn't mine alone, but mine. And when I first heard that, I didn't really understand what it meant. And then I was like, Oh, I thought about it the other way. It was my idea, but also other people had this idea, but the mm -hmm. fact that others didn't or did have this idea doesn't mean that you didn't either. Right. And that's, I, yeah. I, so that kind of, uh, raising up of, of, of findings would be more prevalent. It would also help people understand, uh, how the world actually works and also get away from like this myth of like, Oh, look at this person that created the internet or, you know, Oppenheimer oh, the nuclear bomb. It's like, well, what about the other tens of thousands of people directly working on it? But also the fact that it used hundreds of years of built up knowledge. Yeah. So, and so it's kind of that where it's Dr. Like, Ian Malcolm of Jurassic Park said it best. You stood on the shoulders of giants and you were so interested in whether or not you could, that you didn't think about whether or not you should. Ah, that's good too. Well, my friend, um, I do have to feed my beautiful, magical, pregnant wife a burrito. So I think I'm going to have to sign us off here. Uh, but I do think that we should uh, get back together soon. Uh, maybe we can even record a, an app this weekend. Just, you know, the feed's been a little empty since the 22nd. So I think we could fill it up with some more, more content. Dude, I'm down. Anytime, you know, the sun sets early. I'm trying to do outdoor work during the day, but... You know, it's me five o'clock and it's dark out. So anytime after five is good by me. All right, let's do it. So let's, uh, folks, we're going to reconnect hopefully this weekend and talk on the internet more with, with Ben and Lee. Uh, but in the meantime, from all the folks here at Handsome Headquarters and the Liberal Guilt Radio family, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, we're a family. Thanks, We're Lee. a family. You're right, Uncle Ben. Oh, wait, I shouldn't call you that. Bye. <laughs> Bye.